morning. How good it is to worship God together this morning with you. Um, thank you, Pastor Mike and Pastor Trace, for letting us be up here, entrusting me with uh, the Word of God, but also to be in front of you today. Am I coming in okay? Good to go? Okay. So, Pastor Mike and Pastor Trace, they've been doing a great job of helping us to navigate through this wonderful book called the Book of John. So we're back in it, chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. Would you stand with me as, you, as we read this passage together? I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using period of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You may be seated. We are in a passage of scripture that is most commonly referred to as the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. These chapters start from chapters 13 and end in chapter 16. In the farewell discourse, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. So for three years, the disciples had an almost unlimited access to Jesus. But in less than 24 hours, Jesus will be completely unavailable to them as he'll be arrested under the cover of darkness, led to the cross to die for our sins, and then buried in a tomb. Of course, we know that a few days after that he'll be resurrected from the dead, but the disciples did not know that at that time, right? They, they, were, uh, they, they, they knew certain things about Jesus, but not fully like we do, right? They didn't have the luxury of information that you and I have today. Jesus has said to them in verse 20, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus is saying, when I leave you, you will be crying. You will be heavy with lament and grief. All the while, the world will rejoice. I often wonder what the disciples must have been going through as they face such uncertainty and times of darkness. How about you? We have all, in one way or another, traveled through the road of uncertainty, have we not? It may have been a phone call that brought devastating news and you asked yourself, how in the world am I going to make it through this? It may have been times of waiting for a phone call from the doctor's office to let you know the results 
may have been a difficult time of depression or addiction for you. For some of us, merely getting out of bed in the morning is a win. For others, we live daily with chronic pain, physical pain. The last year certainly has been quite challenging for all of us because in one way or another, the pandemic has affected our lives. We have seen both division in a national scale and, and even in our local churches. So whatever political views you may hold today, I think we all can agree that as Christians, we do live in an anxious world. The world is looking for hope and they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Some have put their trust in leaders, some have put their trust in their political affiliations, and others have put their trust in themselves in an attempt to find some semblance of hope. So how you and I respond today does matter. People are looking for hope, and they're looking for hope in us, and how we choose to witness and display our God does matter. So the question this morning is, how do we live as Christians in such times? How do we live with hope in an anxious world? That is the title of my sermon. How to live with hope in an anxious world. I have three points to help us navigate our passage. Number one, point number one, you can live with hope because you can go to God directly. You can live with hope because you can go to God directly. Number two, you can live with hope because God loves you through his son. You can live with hope because God the Father loves you through His Son. And point number three, you can live with hope because Jesus has overcome the world. You can have hope today because Jesus has overcome the world. Before we delve into the Word of God, would you join me in a a word of prayer? Before I pray, would you search your own hearts? How, How has your been week been like? Only you and God know. What have you brought with you on your heart, on on your shoulders? Would you take that to the Lord? Gracious God, we are fully aware that we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate your words to us. Holy Spirit, would you now do the work that only you can do? Help us to understand your words, and not only to understand, but to obey. God, would you remind us that you are our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's get right into our text today. Point number one, you can live with hope because you can go to God directly. Verses 25 and 26 says this. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that he has living water. 
In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus has indeed spoken in figures of speech. Jesus has taught in such a way that often left his disciples like, what the, what are you talking about? Why would Jesus teach in such a way? At certain times, his purpose was to veil his message in order to hide the truth from rebellious hearts, as we see in Mark chapter 3. But Jesus also spoke in figures of speech and in figurative language because the time had not yet come. The disciples were, were not ready, as it says in John chapter 16, verse 12 through 13. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In the last three years of being with Jesus, the disciples had been given truth upon truth. And the comprehension that was required of them was insurmountable. And so it took them time to absorb and mature in that truth that Jesus was giving to them. The book of Hebrews talks about the word of God being like milk. When we are babies in our faith, we need milk. But as we grow, we need spiritual meat. We need something of more sustenance. And that is how we grow. You wouldn't give your babies steak this morning when they can't process that into their bodies. They need milk. But as your baby grows, they will want something more. They will want something with more nutrition. And so the disciples grew in maturity, and Jesus had to tailor his teaching to help them mature and grow properly. So he used figurative language. But here in verse 25, Jesus says, The hour is coming when I will speak plainly. And what of? Of the Father. And Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Jesus is referring to the day of his death and resurrection. The disciples can go directly to the Father at that time. The disciples will have direct access to God the Father. For three years, Jesus had supplied all their needs. But after his resurrection, the disciples can go to him directly, directly to God the Father in Jesus' name, and God the Father will now supply all their needs. And so it is for us today. When we pray in Jesus' name, we can be confident that God the Father hears your prayers. When you go to him with your requests, and petitions, did you know that he hears you? He sees you. Yes. He sees your tears. He hears your cries. Our God is not somewhere out there far off in some ethereal plane. We have a God who desires to have his children come to him. Because our God delights in us through his son. 
our God does not turn us away when we come to him in the name of his son. You see, Jesus made a way for us to come without any reservations. We were once his enemies. We were once dead in our sin. Think upon your own life. When was that for you? I call this the road to Damascus moment. Remember Apostle Paul saw at the time when when he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians and to put them into prison. He was on the road when he met Jesus personally. Jesus turned Paul's life upside down and changed him forever. How about for you? When was your going to Damascus moment? When did the Lord meet you where you were when you were going the wrong direction and changed your life forever? For some of us, we would literally be dead if Christ had not met us where we were. We were running away from him as hard as we could, but he came after us. He stopped us in our tracks and gave us new life, new purpose. He wooed us. He softened our hearts. God pursued you when you would have nothing to do with him. And he said, I got something better. I got something much better for you. I got a purpose for you. Reason to live. Reason to get up in the morning. For me, it happened when I was 13 years old, sitting at the the back of uh, the pew, way back with my friends during a retreat. Goofed around all week until the last night, last sermon, when finally I understood the depth of my sin. The impossibility of working my way up to a holy God and the realization that Jesus had done it all for me. That he took my place, died the death that I fully deserved on the cross, and I confessed my sin on my knees. I snot was flowing down my my face and tears. It doesn't have to be that way for you because God meets you where you are and and your conversion story may be different. But for me, as a a man who's 40 years old now, I I look back to that moment and that was my road to Damascus moment. But you have one too. And if you have come to Jesus to find purpose, to to find new life, you can go to God directly He hears you and he sees you. In a world of uncertainty, you can have hope because God hears you, he sees you, he knows you intimately. Think about that. The the God of the universe, the God that created the moon, the stars, the, the cosmos out there, he knows your name. He knows your story. He said, I am adopting you. You are mine. Our God is bigger than our problems. Our, 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 our sins may be many, but our God's grace is bigger. Our God is stronger than any power, authority, and government. He has the power to build up and tear down. He has the power to change the hardest of hearts and bring the lost to himself. Our God is the most powerful being in all of creation, and we can go to him directly. Through his son, Jesus Christ, for so long I've tried to gain the approval of of man. When all along I could go to God directly, 
I don't have to earn his approval. He freely gives it to me through his son. You see, the problem that we see around us are way over our heads. It is beyond our ability to control. And so let us entrust it all to our God. Let us go directly to him with our petitions and our requests. So here's an application for you. Are you doing that in your life? Do you go to God daily? Do you run to him as if your children will run to you? Do you run to him with all of your needs? Do you believe that God cares about your big problems and small problems? The truth is there's nothing too small for our God. He wants you to come to him with it all. No matter how big, no matter how small, God wants you to come to him with it all. And here is more. He loves us. He not only loves us, he likes us. There's a difference. There's a difference. He loves you, but he loves having you around. He loves talking to you. This brings me to my second point. You can live with hope because God loves you through his son. Verse 27. For the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Our church is so blessed to have many children running around. I love it. I love it. When I see you parents have love for your children, I love that. I love seeing that. And I often think about how God is our father and we are his children. No matter how old you may be, you are his daughter. You're his son. And as loving parents, you want to provide for all the needs that your children may have. And at times, you may have to say no, because you know what they really need. Our relationship with God functions the same way. God supplies all of our needs. So here's where I get stuck. There are times when I think I need something, but it really is a want. I get that confused very often. Sometimes I'm so convinced that I need something and I pray so hard for it. And I'm like, God, are you even listening? Church family, would you be reminded today that God hears your prayers because he loves you. And it may seem at times as if your prayers are falling on deaf ears. But do not lose hope. Because God loves you and he wants the best for you. Garth Brooks in his song, Unanswered Prayers, said this. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks, the great theologian. (laughs) He's almost right. I do believe that God always answers our prayers. He will answer with a yes, a no, and a wait. But the point being is that God knows exactly what we need. And we can be confident of this because he loves us. Do you trust him today? Do you trust that when you pray for something, he will answer you? Do you go to God expecting for him to answer you? You may not like the answer, but he will always answer you. 
Some of you here today may have prayed for something so dear to your heart. It may have been for God to heal you, to God to take this affliction away from you, or to deliver you from trouble. But God said no. That, that is hard. That's hard. How, how are we to take this? How, how do we navigate this? I have often been comforted in my own life by the fact that Jesus himself understands when God says no. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is at Gethsemane and he prays to God the Father and he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus does this three times. He prays to God three times and God says no three times to his own son. Because God knew that the only way to redeem us was through the atonement of a perfect and sinless substitute. Be comforted today, church family, that Jesus himself understands your heart when you've received an answer from God that you find hard to accept. Nonetheless, we do have a Savior who can sympathize with our struggles. He can sympathize with are wrestling with God in our prayers. So he loves us. Why does he love us? Well, he loves us because we love him. Let's read verse 27 again. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. To be sure, God has a love for the world. That is why he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves his creation, but God has a special kind of love for his children. He has a special kind of love for his people. Who are his people? It is all those who love Jesus and believe that Jesus came from God. Do you love Jesus today? Have you surrendered your dreams, your goals, and your future into his hands? Do you believe that he came from God? You see, Jesus is not just a prophet. He isn't just God's son. He came from God. In fact, he is God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So loving Jesus means that you believe he is the second person of the Trinity. As you read scripture, you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, but it definitely does teach us the doctrine of the Trinity without a doubt. And what we believe about Jesus matters. Because truly loving Jesus means that we believe that he came from God and is God. The Trinity says that God is one being in three persons. Those words matter. It's not just personalities. No, he's three persons in one God. And these three persons of the Trinity serve one another. They love each other. They're always pointing and making big about one another. They're always glorifying each other. In the Trinity, we see that God the Father is the sender. Jesus 
came into the world and did the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the counselor, and they are in perfect unity with one another. Since the beginning of beginnings, the three persons of the Trinity, they've existed in perfect love. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. God did not create you because he was missing something in himself. He wasn't lonely. He doesn't need us like we need him. He doesn't need our worship today. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need our praise. But he delights in us when we do. He's pleased when we praise him. He's pleased when we gather together in community And when we make big of each other, and when we cheer each other on, because we're we're mimicking the Trinity. Beautiful, perfect unity. And what does 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 say? It says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left his kingdom for us. He came into the world on a rescue mission. He was born a man and then lived 33 years of his life to ultimately go to the cross. So whenever you doubt God's love for you, just look at the cross. When our enemy reminds you of your past, when he points fingers at you and say, this is where you came from and this is who you are, you just say, yeah, you're right. But look what my Savior has done for me. Every one time that you're reminded of your past, look at the cross ten times. When you begin to wonder if God has forgotten you, just meditate on the wonder of the cross. When you get bogged down with the weight of your past sins and, and addictions that once entangled you, Focus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore all of our sins on himself. He took our filthy garments of sin, traded his spotless robe of righteousness. What an unfair exchange. He took our sin upon himself and died the death that you and I fully deserve. But he didn't stay in the grave. He's risen and he's now interceding on your behalf to the Father. That is who Jesus is. Do you love him? Now over time our love for for God may diminish. And that is why we must constantly go to him by reading his word, spending time in the quiet moments with him, and keep cultivating our relationship with him. Just as you would do for your spouse. You've got to keep dating your spouse. You've got to try to keep wooing your spouse. In the same way, you must keep working on our relationship with Jesus. How do we do that? Saturate yourself in the Word. That is the best way you can grow. Expose yourself daily to the Word of God. If finding time to read is difficult for you, then listen to the Bible on audio. Just put it in the background somewhere. You're getting one nugget of truth. But that truth may change your whole day. You see, the more we learn about Jesus, the more our affections will grow. So here's an application for you. What has your affection this morning, right now? What takes most of your time? 
right now in your seats, ask God to increase your love for him. Make this a prayer. God, help my heart to desire your word. Increase my appetite for your truth. Change the palate of my mouth to crave your word. What is your treasure this morning? You may wonder, well, how can I find out what my treasure is? Well, here's how you can tell. What takes most of your money? What takes most of your energy? What takes most of your thoughts? That is your treasure. What can you do this week to let go of those things and make Jesus your priority? Let us keep asking God in desperation to help us to treasure him and to go deeper than we already are. God, I want to go deeper. I want more. I'm I'm hungry. I'm yearning. I'm thirsting for your presence. I'm I'm thirsting for your word. And today, I don't feel like it. But God, would would you make that a reality in my heart? Here in our text, we see the disciples finally get it. They do go a little deeper. Look at verses 29 and 30. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So they get it now. The fog has been lifted. Hallelujah. The veil has been taken off. The disciples finally understand. Their minds have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. They may not have fully understood all of it, but their faith was deepened. They affirmed that Jesus was sent from God. And Jesus replies to them in verse 31 to 32, Do you not believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. In just several hours, the disciples' faith will be tested. They will turn away and they will run. They will run because they're scared. They will run because they let the anxieties of life overtake them. Now, don't be too hard on the disciples because before the weekend is over, they come back together with renewed strength and begin to witness the resurrection of Jesus from the grave for the glory of God. And none of this is a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knows what is to come. So so he's trying to comfort them, getting them ready for what is to come. So he says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This brings me to my last point. You can live with hope because Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus reminds us all today that in this life you will have tribulations. We live in a fallen and broken world and the rain falls on the just and unjust. Life affects us all. And sometimes we may have allowed the anxieties, worries, tribulations of this life overtake us. But in verse 33, Jesus says that he is our peace through all of it. That during our times of heartache and pain, we can have peace. And where does our peace come from? Does it come from our bank account? Does our peace come from our relationship status, whether we're married or single? Does our peace come from our government? No. Our peace comes from Jesus. 
And that is why we can take heart. That is why we can have hope. Jesus is the source of our peace. And he has overcome the world. John would go on to write 1 John chapter 5, 4. And he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Apart from Christ, we are all lost in our own little world. If not for Jesus bringing us from death to life, we are seeking our own good and benefit. We are consumed by our own evil desires to make ourselves known so that we can get all the glory. But when God draws us near and through his son, he brings us new life. We are free from the bondage of our sin. We are free from our old ways of living. We don't have to live our, uh, out of our own strength, but the hope that comes from God, who not only invites us to a personal relationship, but he loves us. And he gives us everlasting hope. In the 1960s, Bill and Gloria Gaither, uh, while expecting their third child, went through a horrible and terrible traumatic time in their lives. Bill was recovering from an illness and Gloria was battling anxiety and mental anguish. They often worried about bringing another child into the world that was going further and further away from God. One day, unexpectedly, a gentle calm filled her heart and mind. She felt God's presence like a tender love of a parent come to her rescue. Her anxiety gave way, and she became confident that she was in God's hands. Bill and Gloria would later pen these words to now beloved him, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he all your anxieties would you be reminded today that you can go to God directly you can go to God knowing he loves you because our God is our provider our hope in this world we can look at the world around us watch the news and what is going on with our nation in Afghanistan and even our personal lives and we can lose hope we can lose that peace we can worry if things will only get worse would you be reminded today that God is in control? Would you be reminded today that he has overcome the world? All the injustice, all the evil, all the sin, he's beaten our enemy, physical and spiritual. The world may get worse, but you and I both know how the story ends. Governments will fall, nations will disappear, but his kingdom still stands. It has not come into full fruition, right? It's not been fully realized. His kingdom is here, but it's not fully here, and in his time it will. But victory is his, and it is ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that 
In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Pastors, would you be reminded that your work in the Lord is not in vain? The Lord sees your faithfulness. He hears your prayers. He sees your tears. Fellow Christian church family, do not tire in doing good. Do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Your work in the Lord is not useless. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. Keep loving Jesus. Keep loving those around you and keep reaching out to your neighbors. Make Jesus known. Make him not ignorable to the world because God is still at work and we must be busy doing our Father's work. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of an anxious world, we can have peace. We can have hope. Our hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Entrust to him our world, our pain. He has power over your present or past, present, and future. He knows what is to come. So rest in him today and have hope in all that you do because he has overcome the world. Would you bow your head and let us pray. Once again, would you pray for your own hearts with eyes closed and heads bowed down. Once again, you know yourselves better than I do. You know how your week has been like and the weightiness of what's been on your heart and on your shoulders. What do you need to take to God to let go? What is it for you? Have you been trusting that he's got your back? Or have you been trying to do it all on your own? Making yourself sick. Entrust to him all of your worries, all your anxieties right now, before I end this time in prayer. We thank you for reminding us today that we can have hope in an anxious world. We can have hope because you call us directly to your presence. We can have hope because you love us. And we can have hope because you have overcome the world. Thank you for being our hope, Jesus. God, help us to give it out to those around us. Help us not to keep this ourselves. During the next week, let us make you known. Let us make you famous. Let us make you not ignorable to those around us who are looking for hope. And let us point to you, Jesus, our true hope.